Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Script to Screen Podcast. I'm your host Mercedes K. Milner and this month what's most present in my writer mind is the fact that we've endured an entire year of the pandemic. Can you believe it? I feel like it was just yesterday that I was starting the everything from home journey and wondering what the hell Zoom was. But speaking of, this episode is one that actually implemented Zoom. I have a guest co-host today, and I think you're really going to love this episode, but I want to give you the disclaimer that there may be a little bit of weirdness with skipping audio mid-conversation because Wi-Fi never comes through when you need it most. Please bear with me. I promise it's good. Okay, now that that's off my chest, let's dive in. So this month we are covering Fleabag, created and written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. This is a really popular show that I have been told by many people to watch for many years now, and I just haven't? Does anybody else have that weird thing where, like, anytime somebody tells you you need to watch something, you immediately have, like, zero interest in watching that thing at all? No? Okay. Here's an interesting thing, though. We have not gone over the created by credit yet, so I'm really excited to talk to you guys about it. Okay, so I am pulling this information from Determining Separated Rights on a TV Series from the WGA. The WGA, as you know, has a lot of really great resources, especially as it pertains to credits. If you are interested in learning about credits, definitely look over to their website. They have a bunch of really awesome stuff. But For Created By, this is kind of a tricky credit to understand, but it's really worthy of note here. This credit determines the writer's eligibility for separated rights in a TV series. Now, separated rights are a beast in themselves to understand, but the WGA has an awesome guide called Understanding Separated Rights that I highly recommend you read, and I'll link that in the show notes as well. Trust me, it's important to know your rights as a human being anyway, but as a writer especially, you really want to know what your rights are. For now though, I'll tell you how to qualify for this credit on an original series. So the writer either writes a format for the series, or a writer receives story by or written by credit on the pilot episode of the series. So please note that this credit is only determined after a series is ordered, so don't go around town calling yourself a creator quite yet. We're not there yet. And then, of course, the written by credit, which Phoebe Waller-Bridge does have, so she does qualify for this credit, indicates that the writer or writers are entitled to the story by credit and the screenplay by credit. And the story by credit is anyone who worked on a treatment or outline of the script, and the screenplay by credit is for writers who physically wrote drafts or scenes included in the final version of the finished product. So without further ado, let's talk a little bit about Fleabag. So Fleabag is a British black comedy television series created and written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge based on her one-woman show of the same name, first performed in 2013. The initial idea of the character of Fleabag came from a challenge by a friend where Waller-Bridge was given the task of creating a sketch for a 10-minute section in a stand-up storytelling night. So that's the word on the street, aka Wikipedia. So what's this series about? Well, it's about a dry-witted woman, known only as Fleabag, that has no filter as she navigates life and love in London while trying to cope with tragedy. So... I did mention that this was a very special episode because I'm actually going to be breaking down the script with a dear friend and fellow writer die chick. You may know her from her work as the creator and showrunner of a Bad Feeling Horror podcast, and stay tuned till the end because I'm going to play a promo, or as the spooky bitch columnist for the WODC blog, or as a self-proclaimed fleabag enthusiast. I know her, however, as Deanna Gomez. Welcome 
welcome, Deanna. Uh, before we jump into the script, I wanted to give the audience a chance to get to know you a bit more as a writer and where your love of Fleabag comes from. So my first question is, can you give us a sense of your writing journey and what steps you've taken that have led you here? Yeah, I mean, I actually, I grew up and I always loved creative writing. And that was great. I was always very supportive. But my my family have always been supportive with an asterisk. So it's like, but what is what is a practical way for you to write and, you know, make money? So I actually got my BA in journalism, but I minored in radio TV film where I studied screenwriting. And, you know, I took about a year off of school after I graduated. And I just decided I might as well. Um, you know, why not? So I went to get my MFA and I've been writing ever since. But the funnier story of how I kind of discovered screenwriting was in my, during undergrad at my community college, I accidentally signed up for a screenwriting class. Hmm. <laughs> um, because I was working on journalism. So I was like, oh, I'm going to take a short scripts class. And if you're in journalism, then that's for broadcast news, you write short scripts for new stories, mm -hmm. but it was actually an actual like screenwriting short script class. And I wrote my first script and I loved it. So I had always thought that I was going to write a book or a novel one day. And then I discovered screenwriting and it's, it's all history from there. Yay. Well, I am so glad you're here. Um, and I'm so glad that I am somebody that gets to read your work on a regular basis because it is amazing. What style of writer do you consider yourself to be? Well, I live, I live in drama and dramedy, especially when it comes to horror and the supernatural. I, I just, I'm a spooky bitch at heart all the way. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I just, I, I love writing powerful female leads. And I, as, as we get into it, that's one of the reasons why I love Fleabag so much. Um, but I love seeing them in roles that you would kind of expect a man to be in. So, you know, one of my most recent projects is Santa Muerte, which is about a female hit woman. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that a hit woman is not necessarily someone you would expect to lead a show. So, you know, my style is just kind of creating characters that you wouldn't normally see doing the things that they're doing in my scripts. I dig it. So um, you're also an actress. How do you think that's informed your creative work and what, what do you pull from in your acting realm um, that you put into your scripting? And are, are you looking into writing characters that you want to play one day? <laughs> Actually, so I've, I've always wanted to be a performer since I was younger. And again, that, you know, practical brain of mine just kind of kept me from it. And after getting my MFA, I realized that, yeah, actually some of these characters that I'm writing, I would love to play. <laughs> so I, I dove right into taking acting classes and I feel like it's made me such a better writer in that it's, I feel like sometimes as writers, you, you hold back a little bit because you're afraid of judgment and what people are going to think about what you write on the page and if it's one thing that I've learned about being an actor is that you just have to be confident you just have to go for it so if you want your character to do something then I mean write it it doesn't matter how crazy it seems or you know whatever um, but it's also taught me that I need to be aware as a writer what I'm asking an actor to do mm -hmm. So it's it's really nice to kind of be on the other side of it. And sometimes I get auditions and I read the script and the sides and I'm like, this is a really not great script. Um, <laughs> so it, it's kind of informed my writing so that when I'm writing, I'm creating something that actors get excited about and want to do and making it as easy as possible for the actor to bring my characters to life. Nice. But, yeah, but without doing too much. Like, I, I think one of the biggest mistakes early writers make is that they they put in too much detail about a character or they try to put, like, notes for the actor within the script, and we hate that. that com like, that's, that is trying to inform our performance, and that's not what acting is, so. 
I think that's a part of what makes this whole industry so collaborative. And I think mm -hmm. it's important. Listeners note it. You are not the director. You are not the actor. You are the writer. You are there to create a blueprint masterpiece so that Deanna has the opportunity to shine. So keep that in mind when you're writing your own stuff. Mm -hmm. um, how did you get into Fleabag? Gosh, I don't even remember. When did the first season come out? I think it was I just 2016. Was it 2016? Yeah. I think I was just looking for something to watch. And then I started it. And it's just, it's so powerful. It's so entertaining. And it's its such an easy watch. I mean, it's, it's a half an hour dramedy. And you finished the season in, what, three hours? Because it's only six episodes. So that's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I became obsessed with it. I completely blew through the first season and then the second season came out and it was even better. Oh, I just, I just became obsessed. I rewatched it quite a few times. I've actually, and then this was, I think my third time reading the script. So oh, really? Yeah. So yeah. you're like an expert on this script already. I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you watch a lot of British TV or is this like your first venture into it? No. So I've never told you and and this, but there was a time during community college when I was obsessed with British television. Um, oh. And you know that it started off with the with the main, you know, Doctor Who and Sherlock and then slowly kind of evolved into things like Fleabag. Well, so I have I have a friend that's why who introduced me to all of these amazing shows and you know now whenever I find a good one I'm stuck on it they 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 make such great television mm -hmm. so you know I'm not as okay. obsessed with them anymore but uh, <laughs> I stay up to date <laughs> I try to well I'm glad okay so I want to ask you. What is it about Phoebe Waller-Bridge's style as a writer that makes you love Fleabag so much, I would say? I know she leads the show, but what is she tapping into that you connect to the most? And how can you steal that for your own work? I think that her writing is so quick. It's, mm -hmm. such, an easy, like, it's such an easy read. And even though um, in the pilot episode, they do trim down some of the scenes, even if they had loved it in there, everything... It moves so quickly. It tells a really succinct story. You get a really good grasp on who her characters are. And I just really like the way that she creates female characters. I mean, Fleabag has a lot of problems. She's a broken woman grieving. And there are a lot of different ways that someone could have shown her promiscuity. And I really like that she wrote this character as someone who is fully in control and fully aware of the problem that she kind of has. Um, so I, I love that she adds layers to her. And I love that she kind of adds layers to Claire as well. You know, everyone kind of gets a really full arc over the series and that's something that's hard to do. I believe this was a play first. Mm -hmm. It was right? a show, yeah. Yeah, so I think... Her just taking her one one woman show and adapting it for the screen in this way and bringing in even more characters who are just as nuanced and you know that there's something behind them and we don't get a full story for all of them. Like I would love to learn more about more about the dad and yeah. the godmother. Um, but I think that what she does with Fleabag and with Claire and with female relationships is really hard to show sometimes in a very honest way, mm -hmm. and I think she does that really well. So. I think in my writing, what I try to do is, one, stay succinct as possible. I, I know that you guys just read um, one of my scripts for the other podcast. And you're like, no, write more, write more. And I'm like, I'm worried about it being too much. So um, <laughs> I'm trying to take a page out of her book about being very clear and succinct and thoughtful with my writing and what I put into the scenes um, so that I give the audience just enough. That makes sense. And I think that's a great, that's some great insight. For the listeners, aside from Fleabag, what are you watching and what do you think listeners should be tuning into right now in TV or film or both? So I watch a lot of TV because we're in a, pan we're in a panini. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think what some of my favorites right now that came back are Prodigal Son with Michael Sheen. 
Ooh. And um, and the actor who played Jesus on The Walking Dead, I believe, is the lead. But it's so good, and it's basic. It it's uh, it's basically about this um, man who is a consultant for the NYPD, I believe. But his dad is like this famous serial killer called the Surgeon, and so they kind of work together to solve crimes while his dad is locked up. Huh. So like he works with his dad to solve. Yeah. Crimes? Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. I really like it. The acting is phenomenal. Um, so there's that. Lou Diamond Phillips is in it, so you gotta support. <laughs> <laughs> so I love Prodigal Sun. I love Brooklyn Nine Nine and Superstore and Mixedish. Those are my favorites. I'm really sad that Brooklyn Nine Nine is ending, but I'm really excited to see what they do with the final season. Mm-hmm. And then final half of the last season of Winona Earp that is out now that I'm watching and I'm very sad about it because she's one of my favorites. So that's what I'm watching. And then another Phoebe Waller story, Killing Eve. I love Killing Eve. I'm not fully caught up, but um, it's something that I did start watching during the pandemic and I love it. Okay. Duly noted. Yeah. Duly noted. Wow. Okay. And um, have you read anything recently that you think is worth mentioning? Yes, I actually just finished Mexican Gothic hmm. by Silvia Moreno Garcia. And she's a Mexican Canadian author. And this was the first book of hers that I read, but it was so good. I really loved it. It's a classic Gothic ghost story, kind of a ghost story. I can't give it all oh, away. Oh, I love there, ghost stories. <laughs> there, it's, it's really good. There are some major twists and turns. I appreciate the attention to detail and, you know, describing the time period that we're in. And like, there are some really terrible, terrifying scenes, but they're sexy at the same time. (laughs) Okay. But it's really good. I recommend. I do. What, is there anything that you think you've learned, like from a writer's perspective from reading that? That moment when you feel like, like, oh, that's kind of sexy it's also a very terrifying moment for the character and I think being able to write in a way that is so descriptive that you kind of feel all of those emotions mm-hmm. is what I really like so trying to implement that into my own writing is something that I I took away from that novel yes love yeah. it love it love it okay last question and then we'll jump into the script Is there any writing wisdom that you would like to impart to listeners, regardless of the stage of their journey? It's something that any writer Mm -hmm. could use. Whenever you start to doubt yourself, just look in the mirror and ask the same question that Mindy Colling asked. Why not you? Why does everyone else get to write and not you? Why do you think everyone else is worthy and not yourself? Everyone has a story or stories within them that are worth telling and you deserve to chase your dreams. Oh my so. gosh. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> That's been my mantra lately. It, it, it gets you through, you know, even on your worst days. I love that. I love that. Listen up, listeners. <laughs> you can do it because Deanna Gomez says so. <laughs> De- Deanna knows this because she has to tell herself that in the mirror every day. Yes. <laughs> Make it a regular practice. Love it. Yeah. Okay, so I think we're ready to jump into this pilot. If you're ready, are let's you ready? do it. I'm right. ready. We're going to begin with the page one breakdown. Interior, Fleabag flat, corridor, night. Shot of the inside of a front door. Fleabag's POV. Shot of Fleabag a few steps away from the door, watching it as if she's ready to pounce. Smudged makeup, hair tousled, out of breath. Shot of the inside of a front door. Fleabag's POV. Shot of Fleabag. She turns to the camera. You know that feeling when a guy you like sends you a text at 2 in the morning on a Tuesday night and asks if he can come and find you? And you accidentally make it out like you just got in yourself, so you have to get out of bed, drink half a bottle of wine, get in the shower, shave everything, put on some agent provocateur business, suspender belt and wait by the door until the buzzer goes and then you open the door to him like you'd almost forgotten he was coming over she opens the door to a handsome man oh hi hey then you get to it immediately they start snogging violently 
Interior, flea bag's room, bedroom, continuous. They are going at it on the bed. She talks to us during. In a throw of passion, he flips her over onto her side, so she is facing us with him behind her. She frowns. Then after some pretty standard bouncing, you realize that he's edging towards your asshole. (laughs) (laughs) So already what grabs me immediately is the tone. It's (laughs) so different than anything I've read to date. Like her, her dialogue sets up her character as being easy and enjoyable to follow, but also maybe a little bit problematic. It's just like, are your life choices good? (laughs) You definitely get the sense of who this character is right off the bat. And the fact that they did it in the style of her breaking the fourth wall is so much more entertaining to me because she's literally telling us who she is. Yes, yes. And I'm also really digging the character names. They're a real treat as a reader. <laughs> and it's you, something you don't get if you just watch the show. This is for script readers only. <laughs> it's so funny because it's written so well that you don't even realize that the only one with a name is Claire. Yeah. <laughs> like of the main cast, it's just Claire. So I love it. And I, I love this, the self-deprecation that comes with calling herself Fleabag because I feel like it, it's already demonstrating what she thinks of herself. Mm-hmm. I think it also gives you a chance to see yourself in the scenario. It kind of like almost has a your name here type gimmick. So it's just like you can really put yourself in her shoes. I thought that was really interesting. And I also think it's interesting you brought up the fourth wall because I was going to touch on that. It's a fundamental broken rule of writing at play. But just in case you don't know what that is, the fourth wall defines the concept that characters in a fictional narrative are completely unaware of their roles in a script the audience viewing them, or the story conventions that dictate the way they live their lives. Breaking that wall occurs when the character realizes their fictionality and addresses the audience directly, as we see Fleabag doing in her lines throughout the pilot and the show, ultimately. That's her biggest gimmick. I think a lot of people think that like, in order to break the fourth wall, it has to be via narration. But she's just straight up talking to you the whole time. You can break mm-hmm. the fourth wall with narration, but I like the style that they've used here. It's not something you see all the time. It just feels very casual. I wanted to do a quick note on ending the first page mid-dialogue, because this has happened in quite a few scripts that I've read. Sometimes I feel like this can be a bit of a cop-out that forces the reader to read on if you want to know what the rest of the sentence is. But I think a great rule of thumb is to break at the end of a really interesting sentence like we see here and then once you do that it kind of leads like oh if that's the note we're ending on where the where's the rest of this going you know I agree I almost wonder if it's because she was adapting it some are not as interesting as this one like this one ends (laughs) you know he's edging towards your asshole like who doesn't want to read what comes next Mm -hmm. And I think it speaks to intentionality with your writing. Everybody has Mm -hmm. that issue of like, oh my God, I'm running out of page space and this isn't (laughs) finished. That's the first time that you're supposed to be killing off your darlings. What can I cut so that this first page ends like whammo? You got to keep going. So I think it's important to keep in mind. So the script that we are looking at is a shooting script. Shooting scripts, for those of you that don't know, are scripts that act as the blueprint for production and are written for the director and the production staff. So these are the scripts that you'll see that have actual shot directions and instructions on how to shoot it. These scripts emerge after a project has already been greenlighted. So if you're worried that you don't know how to format one, don't be, because by the time (laughs) you need one, you'll know how to write one. What you usually find, like what what makes up my portfolio or Deanna's portfolio, and typically your portfolio is a spec script, which has a, a different connotation depending on what you're using. But for this context, it's the original script that you have that's for a reader specifically. So this isn't giving a lot of shot directions or anything like that. It's just the story. And that's what you want. You really should not be trying to add in all the technical speech because it gets in the way of the story and that's really what's meant to shine in an original script so keep that in mind Mm -hmm. 
again, don't don't tell directors how to direct on your page. Mm-hmm. They don't like it. <laughs> they don't like it, people. They don't like it. <laughs> but with that, I think we're ready to continue on to Act One, which I titled, I'm So Thrilled. I think as a woman who was also, who well, before the pandemic, was dating, all of her experiences with these different men, I just think are spot on, man. Really? Men are weird as fuck. <laughs> men are weird, let me just tell you. Um, you know, if you're in the dating world um, and you've unfortunately <laughs> experienced some weird ass people like this, I'm with you. <laughs> I think it's it's super, I have been lucky enough to like not have to really date date I've just kind of run into (laughs) like my (laughs) my my partner Jay I ran into him at school and eventually we're just like hey I like you so there was no (laughs) real like dating around so I I have luckily foregone this process but I will say I would be super creeped out by waking up to a guy that's just like thanks for letting me do that last night that was amazing I think that's probably why I enjoy it so much because I'm like I feel you girl oh goodness gracious the first point I wanted to make in this act one is that Fleabag is actually the first sitcom I think we've ever covered on this show and that's important to note because although every story has a beginning middle and end sitcoms work a little differently than one-hour dramas or films, starting with what kicks us off is the teaser. So this teaser doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the rest of the episode, but the point of a teaser is it's kind of like a, a sketch that you can use to start the show with a joke or a laugh to kind of give you context of this is the character that you're dealing with, or this is a hint at the big problem we're going to have this episode. You could argue that the actual teaser, like the punchline of the teaser, is pretty far down mm-hmm. in this one. Because we go down and she's explaining this experience and it's building and it's building. And then you get to kind of that, do I have a massive asshole? On page three. <laughs> and then the title card pops up. So it's a uh-huh. really long teaser. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's really well done. And I think the payoff is there for sure. I think something that sets this apart, too, is that most sitcom teasers are just the one scene, but you get multiple scenes in this one teaser, which is really great. Mm-hmm. It, cover, really great. it covers, instead of covering a scene, it covers an event, mm-hmm. an event that leads to <laughs> this joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I dig it. I think, and I think it's a great, since we're reading the pilot, because every every sitcom episode has a teaser, but since this is the pilot, what makes the teaser so special is that we're getting an introduction to Fleabag, the character, and her relationship to sex, essentially, which is a big part of the show. So mm-hmm. I think you, as a reader and a watcher, get that sense, and you're just like, okay, I know what I'm in for with this show <laughs> and this character. You're like, all right, we're doing this. Let's go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to take a moment to talk about the world of Fleabag. So to me, it seems like the the setting for Fleabag isn't necessarily um, the physical world itself because the world that they're existing in is modern London. So it's, it's it's something super recognizable. But I think what sets it apart is Fleabag's perspective. It seems like through her lens, everything is very sexual. It's a very sexy show, mm-hmm. <laughs> for better or for worse. I think it's inter- interesting because, again, we're only seeing it from her point of view. For a lot of shows, you're seeing everyone's point of view. So you're kind of seeing, like, this is what she's probably seeing. That's what they're probably seeing. And then it's what is actually happened. But we never really get that. Mm-hmm. We only get hers. And so that's why I say there are so many, like you can kind of gather what people think about her and what people kind of are living in in their world with these characters, but you never you never get relief from her world. And like Mercedes said, everything is very sexy and it's it's sexy because she's using it to kind of hide the damage that she has. That's what mm-hmm. That's what affects you 
more is that we're only seeing her perspective and we're only in her world. And I think that's really important because anyone on the outside looking in at Fleabag might think that she is, you know, a Fleabag, that she's an asshole. But because we get to see what's going on in her mind, we have more empathy for her. Let's talk about conflict as it relates to this. As a character, it seems like Fleabag's main internal flaw is going to stem from her relationship to sex and just her general inability to connect with other people in a way that is quote-unquote proper. And I think that this is what she'll maintain episode to episode. This is the thing that's going to keep us laughing, but also kind of cringing at the same time. As far as external conflict slash the goal in sitcoms, those change episode to episode. I want to ask you a question because in the script, there's, there's a big flip that makes me wonder, what's the A story and what's the B story? Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. God, I don't know. I think, again, that is something that is so unique to Fleabag because I think also internally, as far as her relationship with sex, you also kind of learn about her internal conflict with her grief mm-hmm. because the reason she is so obsessed with sex is to hide and get away from the grief that she has that first originally stemmed from her mother and then stemmed from the loss of a friend and then the guilt that came with that loss as well that we learn about later. She's promiscuous and that's kind of how she's coping with it. And you kind of figure that she was always this type of a personality and it's just been heightened and evolved because of the grief and the guilt that she's feeling. I love how deep her internal conflict goes And then as far as the A and the B stories, (laughs) I feel like that's part of her personality that like at one moment, it's this thing. And then another moment, it's this thing. And it just, it's kind of what serves her. And so it's kind of what's serving the story in the long run. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's like this because I am an American writer or we're American writers looking at a British style comedy. (laughs) Which is the British comedy is is much, much different than American comedy. So mm-hmm. I think that could also be what's kind of throwing me here. But it seems like regardless of which is the A and which is the B, they almost seem kind of equal. The two big problems in this episode are, is she going to get the funding for her cafe, for her mm-hmm. guinea pig cafe? <laughs> or, and are her and Bus Rodent going to have sex at some point? <laughs> so with the loan that is a much bigger thing that's going to play out obviously this is like her career like Mm -hmm. obviously that's much bigger in this world but also because sex is such a big part of her life you're like are these kind of equal on some level to her is that why we're like you know going back and forth here (laughs) but I think that one story directly does affect the other because of the way that she reacts after not getting the loan. Um, but I, I think that directly affects her actually accepting and going out with Bus Rat. Is that his name? What are we calling him? Yeah, oh, Bus Rodent Bus is his Bus name. Rodent. Yes, Bus Rodent is his, his name teeth. in the script. Oh my God. I'm like, oh, if that guy just fixed his teeth a little bit, he would be very interesting. It's just a descriptor. Well, that's why when I saw him, I was laughing the first time because I've seen him in other stuff. That's a good looking actor. Those are fake teeth. And you could tell he's really trying to make his mouth small. <laughs> he's holding all the tension in his lips. <laughs> That's a good actor. <laughs> maybe the maybe the idea is there's a storyline that's supposed to be touching on something that's going to carry through the season, but then it's like the adventure well, of the week is the guy or whatever type of like connection to sex is that specific episode but then the cafe does that run through the season yes the cafe is a really big deal it becomes a really big deal so that's why I'm saying like I feel like that is the a story and the b story just kind of takes over because it's directly related by her by the a story by her not getting that loan got it yeah (laughs) I want to take a moment to talk about what I think is probably the best flashback scene I have seen or read in my life thus far. <laughs> Sexy democracy, break up flashback. <laughs> scene seven, pages seven through nine. Interior, flea bag, bedroom, night, flashback. 
Fleabag is lying in bed with her computer in her lap and a pizza. She takes a bite. She's working on a spreadsheet. She flicks over to her CV. She flicks over to BBC News website. She clicks on a video of Obama giving a speech. She goes very serious. She starts touching herself. Suddenly, a young man lurches into shock. What are you doing? She flips the laptop down quickly. Nothing. Beat. Harry gets up, opens the wardrobe, takes out a bag, and starts packing some things. Baby? I know what you were doing. I was watching the news. Really? Yes. <laughs> I think this this scene is just gold, gold, gold. And I just think the way it's acted, too, is amazing. When you're reading it on the page, it was hard for me to imagine what the scene would look like unfolding, but I think they did a spectacular job when it finally was shot. I like that he was laying in bed already. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is this? What I love about it is that it's, like you said, it's sometimes it's hard to picture, but I feel like it's written so succinctly, so that way whoever is producing this, whoever the actors are, again, you give them that freedom to really bring it to life and become their own. So it's really well written. Um, like everything that she wants to be in this scene is there. She gives you exactly what she wants. And then it's the director's job and the actor's job to take it and run with it in the scene. Um, I think this one is a little different only because she she's still starring in it. So she knows what the character is supposed to do and what it's supposed to be like. But what I love about this scene too is that it also introduces us to Harry. Claire asks about Harry later. So you know that he's a, a big deal. He's someone who is there throughout and so you're kind of introduced to who he is <laughs> as a person and he's like he's very irrational he's very dry he's very sensitive and this just sets up his character so well I think as you learn more about Harry you kind of understand why he's not satisfying to her so she has to do this to kind of survive the relationship but it's just so funny that she really tries to get away with it I agree I agree something that I, I'm assuming is just a main staple of the show is that it's very flashback heavy. And I think it also serves, if if I'm reading into it right from what I learned from this first episode, it's her connection to Boo. And it's mm -hmm. our connection to Boo as viewers and readers, mm -hmm. because since she is no longer with us, we can't see her in the present. I do assume that that stays throughout the show. Am I right? It does. Yes, okay. it does. Yeah. But it seems like these, the, a lot of the flashbacks are used to kind of help with the punchline of a joke like it, she messes <laughs> with time a lot but our introduction to the narrative style is the bad the recent breakup which is so awkward and that's something that I think listeners should take into consideration when they're doing their own work is that's how you want your flashbacks to work for you you don't put a flashback into a script to show something that happened before just for the sake of being like this happened before you want it to work in a way that's really going to inform the reader or the viewer about character traits, about characters in general, about motivation, about something that has to do directly with the present. I really love how snappy and succinct and amazingly written these flashbacks are. They're so brilliant. And they feel necessary. Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing. When you're writing a flashback, think, is this going to be necessary? By the end of the first act, here's what I think we know. We know that Fleabag's plan to get funding through the lender is not happening, so she's going to have to find something else to do. And we've also been given a little bit of context about her promiscuity and, you know, hints of her grief. We know that she's had some loss, but this is before that we've been told about Boo, and this is also just before we've been told about her mom. So we don't necessarily know that she could be grieving anything other than the loss of this relationship that sounded really awesome. So now we're going to move into act two, which I titled Bad Feminist. Okay, so our second act opens up with the introduction introduction of Fleabag's super sister, Claire. Fan favorite. I do like Claire. She is kind of a bitch, but I'm just like, I feel like I am that bitch to my sister. <laughs> I just love how Claire goes from zero to 100 in like 0.2 seconds. Mm -hmm. She gives no fuck. She just goes off on Fleabag. <laughs> 
here's what I think her character does really well. She kind of acts as both like a foil character for Fleabag and a roadblock specific to this episode. She is a roadblock to getting funding for the cafe so it doesn't go under. But I also think her character is a really awesome example of using what you have to create the story you want. Imagine that you're in the second act of your own script and it's about time that your protagonist starts to struggle a bit because that's where that happens. You could either add a random, giant, convenient dumbbell that will fall from the sky and block their clear path to success, or you, in this case, could add a completely unapproachable, successful sister that you can't bear to ask for help. I think what makes the story richer and more believable is the latter. And the relationship between her and Fleabag helps to add conflict because, as you can see clearly on page 12, scene 10, we get that roadblock through Claire. Eat. Claire reads her Kindle. Fleabag stares at her. The only thing harder than telling your super high-powered, rich, anorexic super sister you have run out of money is having to ask her to bail you out. I'm just going to ask her. I'm just going to ask her. I'm just gonna- Do you need to borrow money? No! Can't do it. Can't do it. So business is good then? Yes. Really good. Really, really good. It's really good. Sounds like it's really good. It is. I just think that's that's a really amazing cool roadblock and it also speaks to their relationship. It's using all elements of your script. You don't have to build out in order to get the story you want. Use what you have, people. Um, what I love about it is that, like, you almost get a sense of you can't tell if they like each other. Because, you know, there are siblings who like each other and they don't, or they don't like each other. And here you can't really tell. And then slowly, as you start to get to know Claire, you know that if you come back to this scene, you realize that Fleabag isn't just like ashamed of having to ask but she like she doesn't want to disappoint her sister because mm-hmm. they do have that kind of loving relationship they just don't know how to show it so we've got a roadblock there let's take a look back at bust rodent when he returns so remember <laughs> we have this subplot in the episode revolving around the potential hookup with bus rodent our roadblock here comes from the form in the form of genuine feelings for fleabag somehow this guy that just met her on the bus really actually likes her and he doesn't want to have sex with her and Fleabag ever true to her character is not here for it she is here for the stolen $20 though she will take yes she will take that money (laughs) she's not a rude person so I could see how she's putting on a show so that she gets what she's want she wants because you see Throughout this one, she keeps asking people if they want to go home with her because that's that's what she wants. That's what she needs. She needs to be loved or feel touched. And so, again, it's like she's going to sit there and go through a conversation with this boring, fucking, not good-looking man. (laughs) Because she wants to get what she wants, and then she's denied. Denied, denied. It's interesting that you bring up that she was trying to get a bunch of people to go home with her because that was my next point. So I think that constitutes as Fleabag's dark night of the soul moment where all seems lost. Like, she's not going to get the money to save her cafe and nobody wants to sleep with her tonight. Like, it's... <laughs> <laughs> for for listeners that, that aren't familiar with that terminology, the dark night of the soul is a moment, usually at the end of the second act, where all seems lost and your protagonist has to confront, like, the big issue. Or, like, basically what's what's holding them back, what's really holding them back not what's trivially in the way. But so I think we get this this moment when she's at the bus stop and trying to get whoever she can <laughs> to go home with her. And it really dawns on her when the good man denies her but says, <laughs> hey, isn't London just beautiful when it's closing up shop? I almost cried when she did that flashback with Boo. Yeah. But... What can she do when she comes to this realization? (laughs) Apparently get drunk and yell into her dad's letterbox. At least it wasn't Harry's letterbox this time. (laughs) It wasn't Harry's letterbox this time. He told her no. (laughs) No. But to that I say, onward to the climax in Act 3, which I titled Innate Femininity. 
So I think the heart of the story and ultimately Fleabag's perpetual struggle lies in one line. You may know which one I'm talking about. Scene 20, page 24. Okay, fuck it. I have a horrible feeling I'm a greedy, perverted, selfish, apathetic, cynical, depraved, mannish-looking woman who can't even call herself a feminist. I just think it's beautiful. It's like on the nose, but it leaves me speechless. I'm just like, that's clearly what the problem is. But it's Mm -hmm. also just the way she says it. She says it in a way that's just like, I'm suffering. Like, (laughs) I'm clearly suffering and I, I don't know how to approach this, any of these topics. It's like this entire time she's avoiding asking for help and this is her giving in and asking for help and she's hurting and there's all of this stuff that she finally admits but she just kind of admits it to someone who's not able to help her and I think that's kind of when you're self-sabotaging sometimes you do that you go and you let these things roll because you desperately want help from this person but deep down you know that they're not capable of it because what you learn about her dad is that he's not a bad man and he cares about his daughters but he's just he hasn't even dealt with the grief from losing his wife. So he's really just not capable of helping Fleabag in this moment. So he, where she hides her feelings with sex, he's hiding it with a little joke. I'm not afraid to say that I was completely misinterpreting the script until I got to this moment. We did learn that she, her mother had passed away when we met Claire, but we didn't know. I just knew that Boo existed, but she's only existing in flashbacks. I didn't know that Boo was no longer with us. So I didn't realize that this is, ultimately a story about a character that is grieving that can't move through the stages of grief she's stuck stagnant Mm -hmm. and that sticks with me and that sticks I'm sure it's relatable to everybody you don't have to be somebody that turns to sex to numb the pain to understand that that's a core human issue that a lot of people deal with. And I think that just speaks to how powerful this story is. Even like comedy aside, it's just like, it feels, it almost makes it feel like a drama, like a secret drama. It's a comedy, but it's masking the fact that no, this is a drama. (laughs) I agree, yeah. And so I always do this at the end of my episodes, what happens after everything happens? Because we could have, just ended with that and then see you next time folks but that kind of leaves the audience hanging it's a really strong powerful moment but it's not the way we end this episode i think over the course of the episode as we've talked about boo is a character that perpetually lives in flashbacks and you never get a true chance to understand until our what happens after everything happens and this revelation essentially breaks you down into a billion pieces in a late night taxi ride. It also helps to add a final bit of context to the character and reaffirms this is a grief story and it helps you root for Fleabag. It's okay if you were on the fence about her before. She's not great (laughs) as a character, (laughs) but this kind of solidifies like she needs you. Be there for her. And it's, it's very much a Fleabag delivery. She showed a little bit of that emotion with her dad. And now she's back and she's fine and she's just going to blurt out that Boo is dead to this random stranger because, okay, you asked, here you go. But it's kind of just a gut punch to this driver very clearly, but also to the audience. At this point, you don't know what happened to Boo. She could be dead. She could. They could have just had a really bad falling out because, I mean, we see how Fleabag acts. So you don't know. And then when you find out, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. She's dead now. She accidentally killed herself. It wasn't her intention, but it wasn't a total accident. She didn't think she'd actually die. She just found out her boyfriend fucked somebody else and wanted to punish him by ending up in the hospital and not letting him visit her for a bit. She decided to walk into a busy cycle lane, wanting to get tangled in bike, break finger maybe, but as it turns out, bikes go fast and flip you into the road. Three people died. She was a dick. He doesn't know what to say. She laughs. (laughs) So yeah, kinda on my own. He looks at her in the rearview mirror. She drunkenly and sadly smiles. He drives on in silence. Her coat falls open. She only has her bra underneath. 
She pulls out the little tin sculpture of the woman with no arms. It sits on her lap. Two women, one real, one not, but with their innate femininity out. End. Script to Screen is an original production of the Ride or Die Chicks, and it's hosted, researched, and produced by me, Mercedes K. Milner. If you'd like to know what I'll be reading and screening each month, you can visit our website, thewodc.com, to see my curated list of screenplays for the year. You can also check out the Reading on Writing Book Club if you'd like to read the Screenwriting Book of the Month with me as well. My special guest this episode was Deanna Gomez. You can keep up with her writer life on Instagram at Deanna Gomez WODC, on Twitter at DMarieDreams92, or on her website at DeannaGomez.com. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to listen to a promo for her original horror anthology podcast, A Bad Feeling Horror Podcast. And make sure to put her horror feature, The Ravening Woods, on your radar, set to release in 2022. For the month of April, join me in reading Diane Thomas's 1984 classic comedy, Romancing the Stone, and Jack Epps Jr.'s Screenwriting is Rewriting. Until then, read something, watch something, and write for your life. Bad Feeling Horror Podcast, featuring creepy tales, fires burn, and haunting hosts, Afterlife's a bitch and her name's Marina Longdead, your favorite ghoul friend, Coolia, R.I.V., your eternal night owl, coming soon. <laughs>